please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is our final week in the sermon series of Jesus in the Upper Room. It's the final chapter of the five chapters that cover Jesus spending time with his apostles in the Upper Room before we come to next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and then Holy Week, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. And so we've spent these five weeks with the apostles and with Jesus in the Upper Room in this time that he's been very, very intimate And he's been teaching his apostles some truths that are critical as he prepares to go to the cross. As he prepares to rise again. And truths that will come back to them. Because he says the Holy Spirit will remind you of these truths. But all that we've said thus far have been up to this point strictly teaching. Chapter 17 contains teaching, but it's different. Because chapter 17, in fact, is a prayer. If you look at it, Jesus is praying. In fact, it's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. That's the nickname that commentators have given it down through the centuries. And it's because Jesus, as the high priest, is the mediator, and he's also the sacrifice. And so as he wraps up his teaching with the apostles as he prepares to go out to the garden where he will be betrayed and then his passion will begin and he'll be crucified. He prays for himself. He prays for his apostles. And he prays for the world. In fact, if you look at this prayer, what you have before you in your bulletin is the first two sections. Verses 1 through 5, Jesus is praying for himself. Verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for his apostles. The rest of the chapter, Jesus prays for the world. Then he has a closing at the end of that prayer. We're going to focus on the first two sections of prayer. And we don't really have time to cover every aspect, but we're going to cover several aspects of this particular prayer. But before we do that, you know what's interesting? Every time I think of prayer, I think of, questions people ask me about prayer because periodically you know when when you teach in the new members class for example one of the topics you talk about is prayer and so periodically I will get a question after class or later on in the week or the following week that has to do with what we talked about and one of the questions that comes to mind particularly given the 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 section of scripture that we have is is it really okay to pray for yourself You know, because it sounds selfish. You know, if we're supposed to be humble, and we're supposed to be loving other people, shouldn't we just pray for them? Is it okay to pray for ourselves? Well, the quick answer is, if Jesus is our model, the answer is yes. Because Jesus prays for himself. If you notice these first few verses, 
He's specifically talking to the Father about his own relationship with him and what is about to transpire and what he needs to get ready for as he's preparing to depart. He is praying for himself. And there's a reason that we pray for ourselves. I mean, Jesus is going to pray for himself in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. In fact, something that he's really not looking forward to. Saying, Father, take this cup away, but not my will, your will be done. And sometimes when we're going through difficult times, that's one of the prayers that you might need to pray. I don't really like this, Lord. I know what you're calling me to do. I don't really like it, but I'm going to pray. Give me the strength to get through it, even though I don't like it. Right? And that's what Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's okay to pray for yourself. Because part of the reason we pray for ourselves is so that we can be better for others. Because if you pray for yourself typically, your relationship with the Lord is going to get stronger. And if your relationship with the Lord gets stronger, guess what? You're going to be better able to live the life that He calls you to. You're going to be better able to live that sanctified or holy life. You're going to be better able to love other people effectively. You're going to be better able to, as we've talked about and will talk about, live a joyful life. If we are connected to the Lord in close relationship because we are staying close to Him, our own personal relationship with Him, which includes praying for ourselves. We do it in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. That will keep us strong. That will cause us to be a blessing to other people. So that's first. Second, and it's interesting to think about this one. Why do I need to pray if God already knows? Doesn't God know everything? Right? We say God knows everything. So why do I need to pray if God knows everything? Shouldn't he just know what I want? You know, I just did a wedding yesterday, so it brings this to mind. And I tell couples this in the course of premarital counseling. It's really important to communicate. And one of the things you need to communicate on a regular basis is, I love you. We need to hear that from each other. And one of the illustrations that I use when I talk with couples is, you know, on your wedding day, you're going to pledge your love. You're going to say, in effect, I love you, and I'm going to love you for the rest of our life together. Well, if over time that begins to drift and one says to the other, you don't tell me you love me anymore, would the response be, well, I told you on our wedding day, do you need to keep hearing it? I pledged my love to you. What do you think? I've changed my mind. I'm still here. That's not exactly what they probably need to hear at that point either. But, I mean, the point is, is that during that time, we communicate love. That's part of what we need to do. You know, and hidden in that is we always have this mindset, and I know we all do this, they should know. Right? They should know what I need. They should know what I want right now. Right? Don't we do that? We do it with our spouses. We do it with our children. We do it with our parents. I shouldn't need to ask. Well then, let's take it to God. Because even God wants to hear us to address Him. Even God wants us to express our need to Him, our love for Him. 
See, because when we express something, it's a confirmation of what's in our hearts. When we hear ourselves saying, whatever it is we say, it becomes real to us. And that's one of the reasons that we say it. If we are living an authentic life, we should be able to say whatever it is is on our hearts, on our minds, to people that we love. And that goes in our relationship with God as well. And that's why we say it. God wants to hear from His children. And so we make requests. And so we pledge our commitment and our love. So we confess our sin when we fall short. So that it's confirmed in us. And we continue to build that intimate relationship with God. See, a relationship is built on communication. God communicates us to us through His Word. We call it His Word because it's Him speaking to us, and that's how we should understand it. But when we respond to Him, and we respond to His Word, the way we do that is through prayer that we articulate to Him what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we need, what we desire. Jesus gives us models of prayer. He gave His disciples the Lord's Prayer earlier. And the Lord's Prayer is known as a rabbi's prayer where you pray through it and the different thoughts that you have as you pray through the Lord's Prayer. Well, that's also true of this particular prayer. You can think in the categories, and then you can think through your own life and your own relationships. What does Jesus do first? He prays for himself. Why does he pray for himself first? So that he is clearly connected to his Father. That relationship is solid. He's operating out of that love relationship. Secondly, he prays for those in his immediate future. Those that are friends, those that are family, those that are in his presence, those that are closest to him. Because those are the ones that you hold most dear to yourself. And then you pray for people beyond that. Your acquaintances, the world, the needs of the world. This is another model for us praying. And it's really, if you think about it, the way love works. The way love works best. When we are established in our relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, and we are confident of that love, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to produce that love in us, His fruit in us, we are better able to love those around us. And when we're better able to love those around us, then our community of love, whether it be our family or the church, spills out into the world. That's the way it works. And that's why we first establish our relationship with the Lord. And then we go out from there in our prayer, in our relationships, in our ministry. So it flows out. And that's what God's design is, and that's what Jesus is saying to his apostles. Personal relationship going outward. Now, with that in mind, let's now get into the passage just a little bit, because that was only by way of introduction. Okay? So settle in. The first thing that Jesus does, as we said, is he prays for himself because it benefits others. And we've already spoken about this, but for those who haven't been here, I'm going to raise it again. Jesus prays that he would be glorified. You need to understand what that means. When he prays that he's going to be glorified, he's specifically pointing to the cross 
and the resurrection. Not just the resurrection, but the cross and the resurrection. Basically, the spotlight is on Him. Whoever is glorifying someone else puts the spotlight on them. They become the center. They become the focus. And what Jesus has said several times in John's Gospel already, chapter 3, chapter 8, and chapter 12, he's talking about his being lifted up, and he will draw people to himself. He's talking about his death. Because it's on the cross that Jesus reveals, first of all, that he is our Savior. He is dying in our place for our sin. Second, second of all, he's showing the depth of God's love for us. So he is praying to be glorified so that we understand who God is and what God has done for us. That he be the focus, that he be lifted up with the spotlight be on him. And as he prays this, verse 3 in chapter 17 is absolutely key to our understanding of what he's doing. Verse 3 says, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they believe in the one true God and they believe in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. In other words, Jesus is saying there aren't a lot of different gods. There aren't a lot of different interpretations of who God is and what God is like. The world loves to tell you that. Hey, Larry, can we switch to this? All right, we're going to switch to this mic. I'm getting tired of that little crackle. Is this better? Yeah, me too. All right, good. The world wants to tell you there's all kinds of different gods, and it doesn't matter what you believe about who God is as long as you believe, right? Well, the fact of the matter is they're all contradictory versions when you have those different gods that we all believe in. And what Jesus is saying is there's one true God. It's the Father. He's revealed himself in the scriptures, and I'm revealing him now by my life, death, and resurrection. And so he's saying, you need to know the one true God, not the false concepts that are out there. The one true God. And Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Jesus Christ is the key to salvation. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, whoever believes in him. So we need to believe in God the Father. And then we believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, who He sent, because it's through Him that we have this salvation, this eternal life that He's given to us. It's a gift. And eternal life begins the moment we turn our hearts and our lives over to Him. That's eternal life. It begins in this world. It's a foreshadowing and a foretaste of what it's going to be in heaven. That's what God wants for you. That's what God has for you. That's why Jesus came. He cares about your immediate future and He cares about your everlasting future. He cares for your life in this world and in the life to come. He has a long-term goal for your life. We are so often just concerned about the immediate. What's right in front of us, right? Aren't we so often concerned about what is right in front of us? If you're staying for the parade, you're thinking, oh, great, we're going to have a picnic. We're going to sit out on the lawn. We're going to watch a parade. We're going to have fun. This is going to be a great day. If you're not, I can't wait to get out of the south end of the island so I can get away from this mess. Right? You're thinking of the immediate future. God has something more in mind. And you need to know His goal. 
You know, so often when we understand the goal and we have our eyes and our mind fixed on it and we're shooting for it, it keeps us focused, it keeps us going. And sometimes we lose sight of the goal. Take, for example, when you fast during Lent. The immediate goal, I'm going to lose weight and we're coming up on swimsuit season. The long-term goal, it focuses me on my relationship with God. That's the design of fasting. You can give up chocolate and all kinds of things. You can go on a diet. Most of us have done it at one point in our lives. What's your goal? Most people go with a goal in mind. What's your goal? Or what about if you practice a musical instrument? Or if you practice some kind of sport? Is your goal just to do the practice? Is that what it's all about? Or do you have a goal in mind? The game, the competition, the recital, whatever it is. Why are you doing what you're doing? What is the purpose? And see, God gives us purpose and meaning in life. That's why He created us. That's His design for us. And He wants us to seek that goal that He offers to us that is eternal in nature, not just the immediate future. It's eternal. That's what He wants for you. That's what He wants you to set your sights on. Not that He doesn't want to care for you in this world. That's not the point. Eternal life, what it's like to live with Him, begins the moment we give our life to Him. And when we die from this life and continuing on into eternity, no longer do we live in a fallen world, a fallen state, with our limitations that we have now. That's why now is a foretaste. And that's why God sent His Son so that we would know how desperately He wants us to know that. How desperately He loves us. How much He's willing to sacrifice on our behalf because of our sin and our fallen nature. You know, sometimes it's easy to lose sight because of the fallen world in which we live. It's messy. It's messy. And we have betrayals in our life. And we have pain. And we have death death in our life. We have sorrow. We have people who hurt us. We hurt other people. And God keeps calling us back to Himself. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross, on the goal, on the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep your eyes fixed. Because my goal is eternal and everlasting for you. Then he starts praying for his apostles. This is part one. And by the way, part one doesn't begin until part way down. Uh, we're actually going to pick up in verse 11. If you have your bulletin or your pew Bible. So we're going to skip over that first part of how he prays for the apostles. Because I think there's some significant things in the second part that you might miss. And the first is, Jesus prays, Father, protect them. Now, when you hear that, that line, Father, protect them, what are you thinking about? Once again, most of us go to that immediate place. 
I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get get sick. I want my loved ones to be protected. But notice what he says, protect them. It's about being one. As Father, you and I are one. So his idea of protection goes back to this whole notion of eternal life. That you stay connected to the Father. Because when you stay connected to the Father through Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what happens in the immediate future. That's the key. It doesn't matter because He will always strengthen you. He will always support you. He will always empower you to to deal with whatever it is that comes. And He will give you the fruit in the midst that you will be able to continue to love those around you. You will continue to live with the peace that you long for. Even joy amidst the most painful situations. That's protection. That we are one with Him. And that we learn what it means to be one with each other. Because when we're strong together, we know we have mutual support. We know we have someone to lift us up when we fall. We know that we as a community can make an impact for the sake of each other and for the sake of the world. That's the protection. Notice what Jesus said, except for the one. Except for the one who betrayed. He left. He left Jesus' side and walking with him. He left the being one with the apostles. That's what he left. And that's why Jesus said, he's not the one that I'm praying for right now. He's not the one that I can protect right now because he's walked away from me. See, in the context of this passage... It has to do in protecting us, guarding our faith. Once again, it's because he has an eternal, everlasting picture in mind. So that's number one. Number two, here comes this word again, joy. So that their joy may be complete. See, apart from him, there can't be this everlasting, eternal joy. There can't be this joy in the midst of the struggles and pain of our life. We lose the joy. And Jesus, you have to remember when he's talking about all all this. And he said it in every chapter. Chapter 13, or 14, 15, 16, 17. Every time. We keep talking about this word. And we keep talking about complete joy. He's going to the cross in less than 24 hours. And he's talking about joy. Because he knows whose he is. He knows where he's going. And he's confident in that. So beyond the immediate future, whatever the pain is that may come down the road, we can still know that joy. Complete. Because we are made complete by the infinite God. Thirdly, Jesus says, I'm not here to take them out of the world. Know how often when we think of the Christian life as an escape, or the world thinks the Christian life is an escape, it's not an escape. And if you think about it as as an escape, you're missing the point of walking with the Lord. You don't walk with the Lord so you can escape the world. You walk with the Lord so that you can impact the world. You've got to live in it. You know, we're not a bunch of monks in cells. 
We are people who are called to be salt and light in the world. That we have out there a world that is dying of hunger and dying of thirst. And we have the food, the spiritual food in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the living water to offer the world. That's what we have to offer. We have a world around us that is spiritually impoverished. And we're rich. We're rich with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God. And that's how we need to see ourselves as we go out into the world. That we're not hiding. That we're going out and we're touching lives. And we're sharing God's love. And we're reaching out for people who are broken. That's His design and desire for us. Fourth, we're sanctified in the truth. The word sanctified again means we are being made holy. How are you being made holy if you don't have truth? You can't. You need truth in your life. And what does Jesus say is truth? My word. Your word, Father, is truth. That's truth. Because you're going to hear so many truths out there and everybody has their own opinion and everybody has their own truth and we're all supposed to be right even though they don't agree with each other. That is not what Jesus says. We are made holy by His truth. And it comes from His word. Over and over again, once again in the upper room, He keeps talking about this truth. The truth that He gives. The truth that He is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth that the Spirit gives. He calls Him the Spirit of truth. Because truth is important. Truth guides us. The last thing He prays for with His apostles is He talks about them being sent into the world. You realize that the word apostle actually means sent one. Because we are meant to be in the world. We are meant to be out there. You know, it's, it's interesting that we encounter this passage on St. Patrick's Day. You know that St. Patrick, I noticed a number of you have green on. I don't have mine yet. I'll have it on later. But, but St. Patrick's Day, we sometimes forget what St. Patrick's Day is about. A parade is a great thing. I think it's fun. A cookout's a great thing. I think that's fun. The Hog Heaven guys will show you. I think that green fountains and green beers okay. Doesn't really get me all that excited. But is that what St. Patrick's Day is about? If you forget the story about St. Patrick, St. Patrick was not Irish. He was British. He was kidnapped from England. Made a slave in Ireland. Eventually escaped back to England. And felt God call him to go back to Ireland. To share the gospel with the very people that enslaved him. He was sent. You understand? We're sent into a world that doesn't always want to hear what it is we have to say. 
that may even treat us poorly. That's not the point. Jesus is saying, in the context of the upper room, the world will hate you because it hates me. That didn't stop him from coming. And it shouldn't stop us. We are ones being sent into the world to make a difference. That's what he calls us to do. And you know, it, some of you have heard me say this before, and I guarantee you, if you keep coming back here, you're going to hear, hear me say this again. If you fulfill the two great commandments, you will naturally fulfill the great commission. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will talk about it. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you want them to know what it is you know. That salvation is found in Jesus Christ. That the life that's full is the life that's full of the Holy Spirit. The life that's worth living is the life that is love and joy and peace. And they need to know that. Going back to this idea about the high priestly prayer. You need to understand what a priest is. And I tell people you need to understand that's not who I am. Okay? I'm a pastor. Scripture calls all believers priests. The priesthood of all believers. Okay? The priest in the, in the New Testament, the high priest is Jesus Christ. The priest of the Old Testament is what he represents. The word priest has to do with mediating. Paul writes to Timothy, there is one mediator, Jesus Christ, between us and the Father. Jesus Christ is our mediator. He mediates the gospel. And what I mean by that is he came to be the sacrifice for our sin. He is also the high priest that entered the Holy of Holies on our behalf. He brings God to the people and the people to God. That's what he did on the cross. That's what a priest does. You know, what's interesting is there's, there's one of the words that's used for pope. You know, we just had an election recently. One of the, one of the words that's used for the name pope, pontifex. Have you ever heard that one? You heard it this past week? You know what the word pontifex means? Bridge maker. See, that's the understanding of priest that Jesus plays. He's the bridge builder between us and the Father. He's the bridge builder that is meant to tear down walls between us and each other. That because of the gospel, we recognize we're all flawed. And because of the gospel, we recognize we're forgiven. And because of the gospel, we recognize we can forgive each other and we can love each other with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the bridge maker between us and God and us and each other. That's why he came. You know, we are so fickle. We're so fickle. Because if God doesn't take care of my immediate needs, are you there? Do you care? 
when he has so much more in mind for us. You know, think about what we're about to encounter over the next week or two. Palm Sunday. All the Jews are cheering for Jesus. By Good Friday, they're yelling, crucify him. The priests, earlier in John's Gospel, they're all fearful of the crowds. Slowly but surely, they gain courage. And they bring him up for trial. The apostles, when everything looked hunky-dory, they were strong, they were courageous. But when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. How things change in a week. How about with us? Do we change easily? Flippantly? Are we fickle in our faith? God wants us to know the depth of His love so that we stay in that love. God wants us to know the power of the Holy Spirit so we stay strong for ourselves and for others. And I want to close with the end, the last two verses of the first reading that you have before you. Look at the last two verses. You need to know what leads up to that. As Paul is writing, he talks about that we would be strengthened in our inner being in Jesus Christ. So the first thing that's critical as we come to this, this blessing at the end of Ephesians 3 is that we know Jesus Christ in our inner being. Secondly, being in our inner being with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and work in us and through us. So that's essential as we come to the end of this particular passage, this blessing at the end. Look at verses 20. 21. Now to Him who by the power at work within us Him, He's in us His power is at work within us Look what it goes on to say Is able to accomplish abundantly You know there are many times in our lives We've talked about this We can't accomplish things for our lives We can't do it He can He can By the power of His Holy Spirit He can accomplish it Abundantly, He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Far more than we can ask or imagine. Now, I don't know about you. I can imagine a lot. Right? Some of my imaginations aren't always good ones. But I can imagine a lot. What this says is, we don't ask enough. He will qualify over time whether we're asking wrongly. He'll help us see that. He'll help us see what his answer is because sometimes his answer isn't what we want it to be. But when we ask, what he has in mind for us is far greater than anything we could imagine for ourselves. Because his imagination is what came up with creation. His imagination is what came up with Jesus Christ and redemption. 
And what he can imagine for us is far greater than anything we can imagine for ourselves. That's what he wants for you. Eternally. And he wants you to stay there. He wants you to become holy. He wants you to become loving. And he wants you to stay there. As we approach the next few days, remember, the cross is about our salvation. Remember, the resurrection shows he has the power to accomplish whatever he chooses to do. Remember, he wants your life transformed and close to him for all eternity. And now it's time to leave the upper room. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, we are so often so short-sighted in our faith, in our trust in you. Lord, we so often get caught up in the world and the truths that are thrown around. That we live for the immediate and not for the everlasting. And yet, Lord, your love is so great for us. And your sacrifice is so great for us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has become our mediator, our advocate by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray this day that we would resolve right now to walk by faith, to live by faith, to live in the shadow of the cross and the power of the resurrection, to be strong in our walk with you so that we would be more loving towards those around us, and more effective in the world. Lord, cause us this Palm Sunday and Holy Week and Easter to truly be yours. Not in a way that is fickle, but in a way that is steadfast. Convinced of your gospel, filled with the power of your Holy Spirit, and transformed for our sake for the sake of the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.